Everybody talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. As always, my main man, Nicholas Wilson, is kicking it up and kicking it down with me. Cody Watson's here, and we're bringing back the amazing Jason Lewis. He's going to do another episode with us, kicking off what we did on the last one. Y'all going to enjoy this one. We getting right and getting with it. Pull up a chair and set a while. Nicholas, after that last episode, there's a lot of people waiting to hear what comes next. They should be, and they should have their notepads out. Pump your brakes. We get that <laughs> right out of the way. Get your notepad out. Pull over on the side of 285. I know y'all ain't headed to work. You're probably headed home because you've been in bed all day. Let's get it. Let's go with it. I'm excited. I am pumped up. I mean, it, it is it is here. You better have your bows out. You better be having your stands out. You better be getting your hunting gear out. You better be getting washed up. It's right around the corner. How many people you. you think that's that's still got stuff in totes right now? They ain't even. They ready. don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. They go that last weekend before season. They'll be pulling that stuff out, and they'll be hitting that local Walmart up, getting that Tink sixty nine. You know how they do. But. Hey, don't knock on the sixty nine. I still got the hat. I'm on Mister One Thirty's going to drag that one back out. No. Cody, good to have you back, yeah. buddy. You've excited made it, to you, be here. You made it two episodes hey, in a yeah, row. I'm not on vacation yet. I might have to go get some milk in Colorado next week, as Derek says. Oh, goodness gracious. Jason, glad to have you back with Thanks us, Thanks for having me back, guys. I, you know I always appreciate being here with y'all. I think the uh, the second episode is always a fun one for us because we've we've got the jitters out of the way for all of us, and it's it's always cool to me to get that second one going. Well, we, we start to feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah in our own way in podcast land we're, we're, we're floating on a cloud we're deered up deered up wait, deered whoa up. whoa you deered might up. have just made us a t-shirt deered up <laughs> that is it deered up write that down Waddy. Wait, yeah we can't release this until we get that copyrighted mm-hmm. make us a uh, make us a good post on uh on social media are y'all getting deered up, deered uh, up. yeah okay. after I, this episode drops you know, that's, that's good what are you what are you getting ready right now for season like at home, what are you getting ready? Uh, I know you got a new backpack. Patting Mama on the back a little bit more and uh, doing a lot of honey do's, getting that out of the way, so uh, yeah. she's not mad at me. Because when uh, September tenth gets here, it's game over for me. Yeah. <laughs> she, she knows where I'm at. I've prepared more this season already than I have for other seasons. New gear, new new ways that we're entering the woods as far as types of gear that we've changed up and stuff. I mean. A lot of preparations went into this. Got got rid of straps. Went to Amsteel, lightening up our load. Just a lot of a lot of cool things happened. Alex got a new deer stand. Yep, lightening yep. up his load. New sticks. I mean, we're we're after it this year, son. What kind of deer stands you get? Um, I actually went with a Lone Wolf custom gear. Not to be confused with the old Lone Wolf. This one's about a pound and a half lighter mm-hmm. than the uh, than the old Lone Wolf. But uh, I went with one um, that I'm I'm excited for. It's the uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear 1.0. Uh, Mr. Jason Lewis, pro staffer with them, turned me on to it, and I got a good look at it and uh, checked his out. And uh, what's hey, the weight limit on that bad boy? I don't know what the weight limit is, but it weighs seven one. Seven one. Yeah, and oh, it is a dude. The 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 demographic that went into building this stand. And Andre has been an innovator in the deer stand industry for as long as long as deer stands have been about. I mean, he came up with it. What is what is the he, he owned the patent on the first one piece cast aluminum tree stand. Mm-hmm. That's his patent. 
and he sold it 10 years later to the guys that bought Lone Wolf, but he always retained the rights to the name. Yep. And in the stand itself is, it's not just a, a lock-on. And, and a lot of people get the concept that you can go and buy a lock-on anywhere and get it. I think that the innovation that went into this one is you can use it as a pack drop. You can set your bag right on top of it. There's hooks on the sides that you can hang stuff on. And I know a lot of people may not think that, that a lock-on should cost what those cost, but when you're moving the mobile sets the way that we are to now, that we're doing now, especially in the public land hunting situations, man, you better be lighting it up everywhere you can. Absolutely. It's it's 8.1 on the base stand okay. weight, but it is a 300-pound rating, so I can sit in it. On Alex's? <laughs> yes. The, the one yes. he just got. Yes. And I'm so, telling you, until you get one of those in your hands, because if you look at it, just a picture, and you don't read in detail, and you don't you don't look at reviews and stuff, you're like, that's just another lock-on. I ain't paying for that. If you look at one of those things, and I don't own one, so I ain't trying to sell them, the ingenuity and the the thought process that went into building that stand and the way that they collapse together and the way that the seat becomes an actual ledge that will not fold mm-hmm. once it's shut and you can set your pack on it. I, it's, I was sitting there looking at it because I have a hawk, and I was like, oh, that's the same as that. It's not. They're It's not the they're, same. They're I mean, it, they, yeah, are, they, they are, are an incredible. advancement. Yeah. Do you think, Jason, that through the advancement of the, the, the mobile hunting game that as far as the the lock-on stands and you hunt out of a lock mm-hmm. uh, out of a lot of them, do you think that Andre and them will continue to, to make improvements 100%. on that stand? 100%. He, he is the engineer, the mastermind behind those, and they're going to make improvements. They listen to feedback. They listen to customers. What you got to realize, too, is most of the guys buying these, they're just like us, and they're hunting public land, so they only need one stand. That's right. They don't need 15 of them to put around their lease. They need one that they can pack in and out every time, every weekend they get a chance to go hunting, and one week when they take off for the rut, they need one stand. And that's that's why paying that little bit of extra doesn't matter. I mean, we used to pay 350 bucks for a summit climber. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So that was how many years ago. So today it's a retail around 500. And, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to sell them, right. but I am because, in my opinion, it is the best stand on the market. They are. And you, legit. Want to talk, you want to talk about grip on a tree, son? Yeah. It'll bite. Cody, Cody watched me put one on a tree that uh, should have, there never should have been a stand in. And got, he got in it. And it wouldn't move, but it was the scariest. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's the only tree I've ever climbed in. He set, he hung the set in Illinois last year, two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. And I got in it, and there's 25-mile-an-hour winds on the edge of a oh, yeah. cornfield. And I sat in that stand about three minutes, 26 seconds. <laughs> and uh, I said, <laughs> But nope. it was solid. I mean, oh, it, it was. was solid. It was solid. And this is going back to one of the old, original ones that Andre designed. Mm-hmm. And it was a, you know, I can't wait to get this one strapped on the tree. So, Nicholas. What has been the preparing moment for you over the last few weeks? Um, probably trail cameras, I guess, which we got them out a little bit earlier probably than most folks did, um, just because my dad was fortunate enough to retire this year and go up to Illinois Congratulations early. to Jack on that. Um, so he was able to get those up early. But, um, you know, I've been messing around trying to get some – I bought me a GoPro. Um, I know we're going to get into a little bit of filming here in just a minute. Um, I don't know, man, just – Early season scouting. I'm looking forward to getting to Illinois. How many but, months have you been shooting your bow? Oh God, <laughs> that's, that's, that's I where I was going with. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've stopped. I don't think I've stopped since uh, season ended because I I went right right after season and and I bought that um bought that new prime. So I've been trying to shoot on that and get comfortable and 
as anybody's listened to the previous episode knows that I got target panic that I've been battling and for anybody that's had it knows what it's like. And if you haven't had it, hope you don't ever get it. Um, but I, I feel like I'm getting a lot better. I've only spent $700 in releases and, and I think I finally got one. It might <laughs> work. Not long. Um, but that's it. Just trying to get prepared and get more comfortable with the bow. And it's a, it's a, it's a strange concept of how it's changed for a lot of us in the way we prepare for deer season. And the reason I say that is most people are still just working and not even really thinking about no. it. They, they wait till a couple of weeks before they may hang a camera. They may have had a camera out, but they haven't had their bows out. And I think something that's changed for me more this year than ever is the thought process that goes into to my pack-in, pack-out, and building a opportunity for me to be more successful now you made mention of the filming aspect of it and i want to get into that in a little bit and talk over the sure. the gear that we're going to use but i think if you're not out practicing you're setting yourself up for failure well i think you also need to be getting those bows out right now and you need to um you need to be you need to be thinking about making sure that that string's good making sure your airs are good and not flood that bow shop because it's going to be your own fault if you take that bow to the bow shop and he, they can't get to it for That's three or four exactly weeks. Right. And, you know, for for prime example, me being in the construction field, and everything's a shortage right now. There's a lot of things that are not available. So if you're going out there and you're you're going to the bow shop every now and then, you see you may, you may, your favorite broadhead may be there, but you know what? Your favorite arrow may not be there, or that string may not be there, something that, that you need. So right. get it out, look over it, take it down there, get it tuned up right now. Um, well, as you, as you made mention of, you know, the, the preparation has been key to, to this year for us. And I, and I think preparation leads to success. And Jason, you've made mention of, you know, what, what are you getting ready for more than anything? Sometimes I get caught up in the trail cameras and the washing the clothes and shooting the bow and, um, and that's it. And I haven't until the last couple of years started trying to prepare mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. I'm getting older. I mean, look at me, good grief. Um, I'm trying to do a little more exercise. You're 30 year family. old and in the best shape of your life. I, I'm telling you, that. <laughs> specimen, I, specimen of, of a man. I, I try to stay on the baseball field with the kids and stay active because right. when you're when you're grinding, the worst thing that can happen is you get a mental breakdown right in the middle of the season because you've been going hard. That's right. And um, so I've been trying to do a little more mental and physical preparedness for this year, and I think that's helped a lot. What do you think is a key tip to mental preparedness? Um, you got to be able to accept that you're playing a chess game with one of the most elusive creatures on this planet and you're going to get beat. And if you're not prepared to get beat, don't go play the game. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And I think you got to be prepared to lose yeah. day in and day out because we are all going to go grind it out and we need to be there and pump each other up. We need to get a group text. I don't even care whose numbers. I don't care if I don't even know the person. That's right. And when that person says, man, Jason, I'm down and out. And that's when we need to pump each other up because it is a grind mentally. You're away from your family. The weather can get brutal. You're, you're, you're getting beat every single day you go out there. There's not another job on this planet you get beat that much than there is hunting a mature whitetail buck. Mm -hmm. And the mental preparedness of it, I think, is as, is as important, if not more important sometimes, than the other preparedness, shooting the bows and getting the trail cameras out. That's all good and gravy until you, until you get in the game and can't can't stay in it well with you saying that let me say this for anybody out there that is shooting their bow that has target panic and you're afraid to admit it in front of your friends there's things out there as i've said just said 
you can buy releases and try different things. There's ways to get over that. There's YouTube videos that, yep. that'll help you with that. Yep. And some people are afraid to admit it, that they have it. And, and you don't want to go into a deer season thinking, because there's a lot of times, man, I've had it so bad that I just didn't want to go bow hunting, yep. to be honest with you. Yep. And people that's ever had it knows exactly what I'm talking about. I had camera-itis for the last two years. Really? I put the camera in the closet and yeah. quit taking it. I messed up on that 200-inch deer in Kansas, and it really got to me hard because I had the opportunity of a lifetime to film myself, and I messed up, and I couldn't get over it mentally. And I'm not afraid to admit it. I'll tell you every time I fail because that's what we learn from. I also think it's good to know that there's other people going through it too. You with the target panic, yeah. me with the camera, uh, you know, Alex and I with some things that had happened. We thought, you know, thought our whole season was ruined. That's I mean, right. seriously, didn't think we might get to go back out. That's why we're here. We can't talk about that stuff. What are we doing? That's right. Well, that's just like last year was probably the the first time I've ever really experienced the mental. I mean, that last day that we were sitting in the stand, I literally had my head against the tree, just mentally defeated. You know, I had I had lost a deer, I missed a deer, and I was just I was done. I was beat, and it, I I saw it, and I was like, "Good Lord, man, this it is, hurts." Yeah, it, what did it, I tell you? Time yeah. we're still got time. Hey, still got time. Last three minutes. That's right. <laughs> and and the the opportunities. You got something? Go ahead. I know you think. Yeah, no, go I'm ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say this because we're talking about preparation, and and we're not just a bow hunting podcast. Get your rifles out and start shooting now. Don't wait till right. season's already here to scare half your deer off on your lease or wherever you're shooting at because there's not a whole lot of places around us to be able to go shoot those guns. So go pre- go prep those two, not just a, not just your bow. If you can find ammo. If you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't exactly. shoot it all up. Only no. shoot one or two yeah. times. Yeah. If it hits a pie plate, check put it that, away. Yeah, check that <laughs> rifle. If you're, if you're close, just yeah. put it in the box. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a key point to – to the preparedness thing and, and you know we're we're kind of bouncing around here in a few different directions as we go from where we ended on the last episode but i really wanted to get back to where you know we went into the concepts of where we were preparing for the midwest and we're going to get back into that as we prepare to go into november as we're traveling out of state but hunting in the state of georgia is something that I don't think we cover an entire lot, and I'm sure I'm going to get into it, and you and I will have those conversations about where we want to be as season goes. But when I'm preparing for Georgia, you want to talk about a mental grind that people that are listening to this in the Midwest don't understand? You've got a variable here with the heat and the bugs. The gnat line. Yeah, exactly, that people aren't going to face in other states. And I know in the southeast, anybody who's hunting – Florida right now, their rut's going on in, in deep south Florida. We listened to that one on the, on the Between the Times podcast. Mm-hmm. Those guys made mention that, uh, what was the gentleman's name, Nick? I can't think of it. But it's a guy they had on their show, and he's going and, and hunting down there. He's there this past weekend. I don't know if he was successful or not, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a Dan concept. Dan DeWitt. Dan DeWitt. Yeah. But if you hadn't checked out, listen – I know everybody loves to listen to talk about it outdoors, <laughs> but if you haven't listened to uh, Between the Times podcast, do yourself a favor and go over. They're from Louisiana. Nick and I met them over at the uh, Alabama Deer Expo. Dan DeWitt is probably one of the most knowledgeable guys in hunting. 23 states he's hunted in. He's he hunted was a guide, in, I believe. He was it? a guide, yep. He spent time in, in, the, in Canada. He's hunted out west. He's chased all different kinds of critters all over the country. That's what he calls himself. He loves to get – he's the critter getter, and he loves to chase them. And if you haven't listened to Dan on their show, do yourself a favor and go over and listen to him because I'm telling you, he taught me things that I had never thought about before. So – 
just want to shout out those guys, Dustin and everybody, and uh, their what is that Ishitaki taxidermy? I can't pronounce well, it, but and, and talk about having struggles in Georgia that everybody else don't have. Try having some nice bucks on camera, and then all of a sudden you got bears on camera, and now your oh, bucks yeah. are gone. That's yeah. the that's yeah. the hardest part about addressing a hunter in Georgia. I've got a really good friend of mine that hunts public land in Midway, Georgia, by Savannah. Mm-hmm. I've got a ton of us that have grew up hunting Middle Georgia, that whole you know Hancock to Macon County yep. area, East Georgia. And then a bunch of us that have hunted Cohutta and the mountains. So yep. I try to keep my information as general as possible when talking about Georgia because we also have suburban hunting, That's which right. is going to be different than mountain hunting, which mm-hmm. is different than the Piedmont, which is different than the coast. So we're going to try to – I'll try to give as much general information as I've learned as we talk about people hunting in Georgia. But I don't think there's another state – I'll go on record with this – as diverse as the state of Georgia when it comes to hunting. Think about that that's for a, good, a minute. Yeah, yeah it's a good point. Think yeah, about that. Our coastal deer rut at a different time than our mountain deer. We got suburb. I mean, everything we just said is completely different than Iowa, Illinois, Western Kentucky. That's that's easy to me. Yep. Georgia's tough. Georgia is back, a tough state. If you go back to that episode last year when the hunting public, you mentioned it on the last episode, where they come to Georgia and hunt up in the mountains, those guys said it was like hunting elk out west. Yeah. That's, that's what, exactly Absolutely. what they said. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a concept that a lot of people don't understand that us boys in the South, you take us out of our comfort zone and put us in the Midwest. We get it done. <laughs> in a in a big way. Yep. And I think that people, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday that never met the guy before him. And I'm gonna tell a quick story here. So there was a piece of property we saw a deer on that we we actually would love to have pursued this deer. It was a nice buck. We wanted to get in there and get on it. I reached out to the landowner. Landowner was not happy about me calling him to deer hunt. Not at all. And I'm sure the guy owns so much property that he gets calls all the time. I respected it. I said, I apologize for you bothering you. And he told me that his son-in-law hunted there. Well, I, I got off the phone with him, and I thought about it, called Cody, and I was like, hey, you know, not going to work out. We're not going to be able to get on that piece of ground. But I did text the gentleman and tell him, would you mind passing along my contact information to your son-in-law so I can talk to him? He calls me. You know, he's wondering why I want to talk to him. He's a stranger from nobody he's ever met. He's never heard of me. I'm from Georgia. He didn't know I was from Georgia at the time. We spent an hour on the phone together, and he's invited us to come up and have supper with him when we go back up there. Didn't give me permission to hunt the property, but that's perfectly fine with me. And it when I got to talking to him about how we come up there to hunt and he said i'll tell you this you guys are more respectful to hunting up here than the locals are to me he said there's people that'll trespass that'll never ask for permission that'll never you know they they don't treat the property the way that you guys down south do and he said i respect that out of y'all and he said just having this conversation with you i can respect that out of you so shout out to that guy i'm sure he's gonna listen to this show because i told him was going i was gonna tell that story on here so i mean it's just a it's about making friends wherever we go you know and we try to do that i don't care if if i ask for permission on your property to hunt and you tell me no i want to talk about something else then that's that ship sailed what do you do for a living what do you have fun doing and you never know what that relationship's going to develop into and what they can teach you that's a good point so i love it that's that's what we try to do just build relationships i got a quick question have you signed up for the bow hunting league no and Alex had told me about it, and I haven't done it yet, but he, he prepared me for yep. it. Right. So August got, 31st now is yep. the deadline. You and your boys need to do it. Okay. It's free. 
Yeah, why not? that's what he you said. Know? Yeah, you get the opportunity it. to win some cool prizes. Yeah. Three-man teams. If you're listening to this, you need to make sure that you've done it already. We've already uh, had those guys on, and you've listened to that previous episode. So you need to get on there and sign up for it. And, and when you do, if you don't mind – Send us a message on whether it's social media or a text message. Most people that's got our numbers, send us a message. Let us know that you heard about it on here so we can post in their group on the social medias that we introduced you to it. So cool. Yeah, because they're doing some pretty cool stuff over there with their bow shoots. State prizes. Yeah. They're King of the Tines. $60,000 in prizes this year. Yeah, over this 60 free already. free contest. Yeah, free oh. contest. Weekly awesome. prizes in every state. Yeah. So Early season, Georgia, what are you doing? now to prepare you know i'm i'm running trail cameras and this year has been different than than previous years where i'm i'm planting my buck fever uh seed company food plots jeff if you're if you want to plant food plots jeff is a great he's a great ambassador for food plots because he's willing to take the time to tell you when you should plant your seeds and get them in the ground i i talked to jeff today and he asked me he didn't say, we need to do this. He said, what is your goals for your food plot this fall? And I told him, my biggest goal is to hunt during November. And especially since Cherokee County has extended their archery season to the end of January for this year, I'm looking to have food there into January for that late, late season hunting when there's nothing else around to hunt. So my preparation has been get those cameras out there. We can bait. I've got corn out. I'm seeing what's in there. I'm keeping the feeders full. And as Cody made mention, I had an entire feeder destroyed by bears and they're still in there. So I can't even put any feed out, but guess what bears don't eat. They don't eat clover. They don't eat buckwheat. So I've still got my food plot there that I know the deer are going to, because I've seen the pictures of them going to that plot. That's good. So they're not going to eat that. You put out corn, the deer, uh, the deer are going to eat it. But if a bear finds it, well, you better find something else to do, and if you don't have a plan, you're going to be in trouble. So for me, that's been the biggest preparation piece. I've got an opportunity at, at you know, hunting locally to my house, and, I, and I'm close there so I can get in there and I can make preparations for that. And I know you, Nick, you've got some opportunities close by to the house on some great deer, and uh, we got to get some coyotes killed maybe off of it. But got to get some coyotes killed off that. Yeah, we got to do that. Mine this year's uh, and last year too is – kind of like your illinois preparation we've been it's not really a lot of glassing but a lot of watching because bachelor groups right now really watching them transition and seeing how they're traveling and um we got our eyes on some so i mean and just what what kind of what kind of feed you putting out over watson you putting any feed out any supplemental feed for the deer put a a little uh uh southeast wildlife innovation suprema tracks out right yeah. now getting them going we just i actually just started putting some out um i was waiting purposely a little later to put some out and we've already the feeders are flooded with with deer is it too late to put mineral out not in my no, opinion I don't think <laughs> so. it's still hotter no. than hell in georgia yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. 90 92 today or something like that so i i don't personally have any out but i know alex is a big big proprietor of it and are you putting any out I've put some out. I was just curious how, how late you guys do put it out. I think a mineral is a, is a good substance all year long. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know deer yeah. in summertime, they like salt. I mean, I know in hot weather, if I'm drinking a cool one, I want a little salt shaked on it. I mean, that's just the, the same thought that I, I like salt, and I know animals like salt. So, And I hope the bears don't like salt because they've got a lot to eat. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jason's over here saying they do. So, <laughs> I think oh, they do. Oh, I God. hate to break it to you, but I think oh, they do. Oh, God. Here, well, there's my, another $60 wasted. <laughs> my focus on Georgia in the last few years 
is big early season. And I know a lot of people like Alex saying he's preparing for late season, but I've I've noticed really early season if you can patter those deer while they're still in the bachelor groups and stuff. In my opinion, I think you have a lot better chance of getting those deer killed. So yes, that's why I'm really trying to watch those bachelor groups and really trying to get them coming to the Suprema tracks and keeping those feeders full and just hopping in there day one and really trying to get it done. In my opinion, and the land I have to hunt. Keep an sure. eye on them. There's so many things that change early season in Georgia right now. Um, if you guys seen these little cherry trees that have the little tiny buds on them? Yeah, yeah. They eat those for like a week when they and then they get off of them. I mean, and that can change a deer's pattern like that. I learned that the hard way in the suburbs. You got to keep an eye on them. Just watch them. Yeah, things change. Kudzu patch all of a sudden comes sweet honeysuckle, whatever. And two, you know, depending on if you're hunting around um, some. I don't really call it ag land, but farmland and stuff like that. If fields in the past that haven't been cut before, they mm-hmm. may tra- change their transition from one area to the next. It's kind of what happened where I'm hunting this year. A field has been mowed for the last like 10 years, and this year it's grown up like six foot, and they're traveling through that field every day now because they feel safe. And so it's completely changed the dynamic yep. of how they're transitioning. So, and it'll likely change again between now and opening day. Yep, exactly. So cameras. I think watching the weather fronts, too, for me, has been a key thing in in Georgia. You're not going to find a cold weather front, but a good rain comes in 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 an afternoon, and I've got an hour before dark. I'm looking for that rain to stop at a certain point, and I had the opportunity at the best buck of my life in Georgia three years ago, and I I should have got him killed, but I didn't. Something spooked him, boogered him. He got gone. But I was there in the rain 30 minutes before it stopped, slipped in quiet, got in my stand, and those deer were moving. I had not had a single daylight picture of those deer all year, but that rain pulled them in because they felt a little more, more comfortable. Yeah. There's more rain coming in. So watching those weather fronts and pressure changes. Exactly. And, and getting that high pressure system moving in, it really changed those deer to move at that mm-hmm. time. And it, it put me in a position to, to capitalize on it, but I didn't get it done. Human variable. It, it happens, happens often. <laughs> you you hunt a lot of weather, don't you, Jason? I do. I yeah. love hunting weather. Let's talk about weather a little bit because you hunt a lot of thermals and maybe explain to people what you're looking at or what you're looking for. That's a good question. So um, so let's talk about a thermal for just a minute. So in the morning, you've got thermals that uh, that push um, scent up. They lift. Everything's lifting up. And in the afternoon, that thermal pushes down. So you have to take several things into consideration, especially hunting North Georgia. We hunt a lot of hollers and hills up here. So you've got to set up on a side where you really don't think that deer is going to come from. If you've got a, a northeast wind, okay, and you've got thermals that are rising, you can get away with a lot more in the morning time. But in the afternoon, you better hope it's going down a holler where you don't think there's going to be a deer come from or you will get busted, especially if you're low enough that it will swirl. Um, and then <laughs> they change while you're hunting. That's the other thing. Wind doesn't stay the same direction all the time, the whole time you're hunting. So when it changes, you need to be prepared and have a, a setup that you can get down and make a change or have another stand you can go to in mind when you know that that wind's going to shift. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people won't do that. What they'll say is, oh, it looks like the wind's going to change out of the northeast at 9. I'll just call my hunt and be done with it. Right. But if you had another stand set up that could get you that extra hour and a half, you never know what you're missing right. until you're there hunting. So. 
Um, I love hunting anytime there's a pressure system change, Nick, and there's a weather change. I love a cold front. I mean, one of my favorite times of year is, is the first real good cold front in October. And you hear that a lot, and it kind of sounds cliche, but it's the truth. You can still get a deer killed that's on your property before he's shagtailed to the next county during the rut. Um, but anytime there's a pressure change, I like to be in the woods. Now, going from, let's say, Georgia, yes, do you sir. have a preference whether you hunt? Are you a morning hunter or afternoon hunter? When the camera tells me. Okay. Yep. When that camera tells me or when I when I think I can get that deer killed. I sat out six, And that's all year long. That's all year long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like both. I I have been just as successful in the mornings as I have the afternoons, it seems like. Yeah. Just got to know when to go in and go after them. I, I almost been off, off. I asked Alex this other day on the phone. You ever killed the? You ever killed a big buck out of the same exact stand? Yes. You have. Yeah, we could just call Mul- it a killing tree. Multiple deer out of the just same. Just call okay. it a killing tree. There just, is those areas, and if you're fortunate enough to be able to hunt on one, y'all all know what you got it in your mind right now. It's pictured in your head. That big white oak or whatever it is on that old hunting stand, it always gets it done. Yeah. And we just call it a killing tree. And it's basically where you know you can get it done year after year because it, the way it sets up. It's either terrain or the weather or just the way that tree is situated. But, oh, yeah, there's, there's I've been – never, I've never had that. Have I've you not? Never, I've never really? had a perfect killing tree. I no mean, kidding. I've killed deer out of one tree. And, the, and Nick asked me, and I had to really sit back and think that I've never had that opportunity I, to kill out of the same tree. I've killed tree. deer out of the same tree, but not, not – not good. Not, not a mature not good buck, deer. Right. Yeah, that's, and I've killed them in the area. Yeah, you know, yeah. In, yeah. The, in the radius of a short radius, but yeah, never. And and I was I don't know if I'm maybe I'm going a little overthinking it. Overthinking like is that chapter done on that deer there, and then it's time for you to move to the next. I don't know. Just maybe I'm overthinking. No, I've I've killed uh, several good deer out of the same tree. We just like I said, called a killing tree. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, I just I I've killed several small bucks out of the same tree, and then Caden's killed the same. Small bucks have the same, literally within 20 yards of the same tree, but mature deer, I can't think of one either that I've actually. And I think that for me, it's been more about getting bored with that set and moving on. I was thinking about that when you asked the question. So especially hunting in Georgia, I've got stands that have been hanging in a tree. They've they've rotted away in that tree, and I've put another one in the tree right Mm -hmm. next to it to hunt that same area. Yeah. And I almost feel like the monotony of sitting in the same spot in Georgia and looking at the same old red oak that's right in front of you or the same <laughs> white oak that's to the east. You know, it becomes a mentally taxing task to sit in those same spots and know I got in here at 530 and I've sweated my butt off and I'm only going to see possibly one deer. Maybe one. Yeah. Maybe. It's a mentally taxing task. I mean, and I want to try to move around and find those deer where they're at. Yeah. And I think that I think that mobile hunting game has always been something that's been in my mind. But where it's hurt me is is I've jumped around randomly. I haven't had a pattern to my jumping. I've always tried to, well, I didn't see one on this ridge. Let me move two ridges over. Well, I didn't see one here. Let me move down this holler. You know, and I'm not really I'm not really thinking, and I'm talking back to my younger days, whereas now all right, the deer I saw were moving to here. Why were they moving there? Let me get down and go find out why they were there. Yes. Move my set to this tree. Yep. Oh, there's white oaks dropping. Let me get here. That's why those deer are coming. And I didn't see deer that came from the entire other direction that stopped at that point and didn't come past me. I was that person that thought I had to take the same trail 
to the same tree and the same exit out or I was going to blow the woods up. Right. I mean, just blow it up like a Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> I never, ever thought in my wildest day I could put a stand on my back and bounce around and kill deer because I wasn't taught that way. That's that not the way, way we yeah, right. here. Mm-hmm. And so going back to the first episode, getting out of your comfort zone, do you know how long it took me to realize that that was okay to do? Even after hearing guys that were very successful hunters with a wall full of really mature deer, I couldn't make myself do it. It took a long time. And now I can't go back to the old way. Right. I want to move. Right. If I'm not moving every couple, even every couple of days, I feel like I'm missing out on the freshest and, and something's changed. And I don't know what it is. I got to figure it out. There's right. a piece of the puzzle missing. But if I get down and go figure it out, I can still kill that deer. So there's a confidence to go along with the mobile moving. Right. And that's really what changes things. Well, you mentioned that in the first episode about getting out of your comfort zone and everything. And I told Alex, I want to do that so bad. But I told him, I said, it scares me to death. Mm-hmm. Because it will. You're just not used to it. No. You, know? you almost got to just, I hate to say this, to trust the process and try. Right. And it's hard to do. Easier said than done. It's my goal this year. Trust the process. I, I can't wait. Process. Cody's going to be behind a big one. Y'all wait and see. I hope so, man. <laughs> you you have no idea what I want to I want to hear that call. Caden I too. want Caden to kill a 100-inch eight-pointer and be tickled to death <laughs> with it. That's what I want. He don't need a big one on his first year. Let him get one out of the way. Knock a good one down. So you know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I told him. I told Cody and him both on the way up because he's he's going into hunting area with me. I'm going to take him in there. I want Cody to get on one. I don't want him to have to worry about Caden. I'm going to worry about Caden. And then I'm gonna he's gonna get in there and he's gonna burn him about 115 inch deer and it's gonna run in there and die and run a good one over there on me. That's the way I see that scenario playing out. So. You've already strategically thought about this. Oh, whole absolutely, yeah. Happened. That's yeah. why I yeah. set up down ridge of him, you know, oh, off the other side of the bedding area. You know, hey, you can't gift him with the gold right out of the gate. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I mean I'll be sitting up there looking at skint heads up there in the north country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be up there burning flatheads. So I love it. But the, I think that the whole scope of what we try to I, – I want people to understand when they listen to us talk about the way that we hunt with the mobile hunting or it, it's an idea that we have practiced and that we've put into fruition and saw results. Absolutely. It's not just a theory that we're throwing sure. out there. This might work. No, it does work. It's also not for everybody. Exactly. A lot of guys take the weekend off and they go to middle Georgia and they want to go sit in the tripod where they can see a ton of clear cut and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -mm. Because guess what? At some point during their weekend trip, they're going to kill a good deer when they're there at the right time and that's nothing wrong with that. It's it's, It's it's, not for everybody. And it's almost, I don't want people to think that we're putting so much pressure on ourselves that we're taking away from the enjoyment of it. My goals are different than your goals. Yeah. Nick's goals are different than Cody's goals. And anyone listening to this show are going to have different goals for themselves. If your getaway is going to your hunting club and sitting around camp, which we all love to do, and you go get in a box, stand in the morning, drink your coffee, have your little Debbie pies, and you never see or kill a big deer. But you're happy. That's the key. Find your happiness and do what you want to do. Absolutely. Me, I like to hit the ground running wide open too. in the morning and go for, from there till dark and, and bitch about it when I don't get it done. Yeah. I mean, that's and You that's don't have to me. go after 180-inch deer. No. If you want to kill not. a 40-inch deer, shoot it. Shoot that's your you deer. Want. Yeah, that's your deer. That's okay. your deer. That deer makes that, you happy. That deer, is, that deer is done. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we talk about all this. If you, if you kill your target buck, I don't care what it scores. If you win – that game and you found that deer whether it be in holly springs georgia 110 inch eight pointer or the midwest and you kill that deer 
that's more gratifying to me. Yep. I don't care what it scores. That's I don't even right. care about measuring it. But yep. if you kill that target buck, it's an old deer, you just wanted to get it done, all of a sudden you're confident and you just changed as a hunter yep. exponentially and you don't yep. even realize what you just did. That's the most fun to me. And I think that's what... We all want to chase big deer. The, sure. the, the, from the time we were kids watching every uh, hunting video from Bob Falkrod and, and Bill Jordan and all those guys that were chasing giant big deer... The reality of it is everybody's situation is not going to be the same, and you may not have the opportunity to do that, but you've got the opportunity to go out on your back 40 and shoot a whatever, a yeah. six-pointer. Okay, you killed that deer, and you took that deer back to your family, and you provided a meal to your family with it, but you're happy. Right. That's the key. Yep. Find what makes you happy. My happiness is burning a 170-inch deer. Yes. That's what I want to do. I just want to chase one. Exactly. And that's the key. Chase them and find your key to happiness. Well, that's like we told Caden, you know, going to Illinois, he's going to get experienced a lot and see a lot that he's not going to see here. And we told him, when you see that deer that walks out and you go, in your mind, I'm shooting that deer, no matter what it is to anybody else, you shoot it and it makes you happy. And don't think twice. That's what that's what's going to make everybody else happy. That's right. So, yeah, and I've got buddies that call all the time. And they're like, "What? I?" they'll send me a picture of a deer. And they'll say, how do I kill this deer? Well, you're you're asking for me to basically read Braille, I mean, at that point, because I have no idea how to tell you to kill that deer. I can tell you some ideas. Mm-hmm. If you'll lay out the dialogue of what that deer's doing, yeah, I can give you some pieces of advice that I've tried and that it might work. But nothing's tried and true until you're there and you make it work. Yep. You may make a mock scrape at one holler that, that a deer comes in and hits, and you get that deer killed off of it, you may make 30 mock scrapes and never see a single deer on them. I mean, that's that. That's the thing. The variables play into hunting so much that you can't control. So, I'm going to go back to Georgia hunting real quick. Um, Jason, I know you talked about earlier about like the mountain region, Piedmont. Let's just say you have an early season spot that you're going to hunt in North Georgia. What are you looking for? Food. Oaks. Food and cover. White oaks, red Green oaks. Cover. Yeah, because yeah, early season in Georgia in the mountains, they're getting prepared quicker than the coastal. Are, are, are you trying to stay on that bedding line versus the food line, like um, the edge of a holler? I'd like to know where that deer's bedding. I, that's always the, the first thing I want to find out. It's great to know if they're feeding on the same white oak tree at 7 every evening, but yeah. where's he going after that, spending the other 90% of his time? But that's hard in okay. Georgia. That's extremely hard, and that could change daily too. It's not always the same bedding area. It could change daily depending on the weather. Um, but early season, mountain Piedmont, mountain region, I'm looking for food. Okay. I'm absolutely li- looking for food, and that deer usually is not traveling too far. Then what are you changing, let's say, mid-October, uh, mid-November? Okay. Uh, the Probably the oaks are just – they're probably almost gone, I would say. Or- that's, that's when the mobile game comes into play, and I know I sound like a broken record repeating it, but you know how many white oaks are around here that are dropping and some that aren't, and then some dropped last year, but they didn't drop this year. Mm-hmm. You don't know any of that information until your boots on the ground and go find it yeah. and stay ahead of the game with your scouting. Yeah. So I, what I'm, I'm looking for sign at that point. So you're hunting sign and trails, I guess until, until the rut breaks open and then I'm hunting does. Yeah. Does horn trees, does it matter to you? Do I you could care less. Care less. Yep. Scrapes could care less. I, that's me personally. Yeah. Now, I do. Beds. I hunt beds is important. Yeah. I do hunt with a lot of guys that scrapes her and I like seeing it. I mean, it's sign, but it happened before I got there. So it doesn't mean anything to me that mm-hmm. moment. 
I do know a lot of guys with mock scrapes that are so successful. I, I have not figured out that art yet. Yeah. So for me yeah. personally, I'm not a good scrape hunter, and I could care less about horn trees. Yeah, before we get into that mock scrape, you want to do our shooting you straight real quick? Yeah, let's go into that shooting you straight question real quick. Yeah. This week's Shooting You Straight segment is brought to you by Williamson Brothers Barbecue of Canton. Stop in off exit 16A of Highway 575 or call 770-345-9067 for all of your barbecue and catering needs. So this uh, week's Shooting You Straight question, or this episode's rather, is actually from Jacob Wilson, and he asked it a while back, but it's in regards to preseason mock scrapes. And I want to lean on you a little bit, Jason. I know you said you don't really use them a lot. And this is something me and Alex implemented this year with a little trial. Um, what, what's your take on preseason mock scrapes? Um, I've seen some guys that have been super successful with doing preseason mock scrapes. Um, they pique a buck's interest. They'll stop him. They'll get pictures of him, and they'll start getting intel on that deer. I, I'm I'm exploring it this year. This is my first time kind of dabbling in preseason mock right. scrapes. I've done it during season. And and had some okay success with it, I'd say, during the right time. But there's so many variables that play into making that scrape. It's hard to say why this one's successful over the other, except for the fact that there's not a lot of preseason scrapes being made by natural deer. Mm-hmm. You're the one making it, and that's something I'm going to dabble with this year. Yeah, and I think that's what we were trying to do is just pique that, those bucks' interest and just try to get them into that area since we are, like we said, doing it in the Midwest, for example – Trying, they're primarily staying in that food. If they come through there and they see that, it may pique their interest Absolutely. a little bit. And then that's what a buck's doing this time of year. But it's funny to me how successful some of these guys have been getting their target bucks early because of a mock scrape situation. It's just something I've never been confident in trying or doing. I don't know why. It's not like you can really make a mistake early season with one. If if they don't like it, they're not going to come to it. And if, and if you were to do that somewhere, would you try to position that, I guess, in the area between if you knew where that that those deer are bedding and their food is, you just want to try to be somewhere in that middle ground where they're traveling every day, right? I I'm going to try to be close to them, yeah. Right. I mean, if it's the Midwest, it's probably going to be a field edge that I think they're coming out of the edge of corn or beans on. Um, in Georgia, I would probably try to establish either a corn pile that I've got a good one coming to or um, knowing where that deer's going and try to put it right off a trail. You already have a camera on one right now? No. No, not yet? Not on the, not on the mox, Greg. Yeah. No. Well, I'm going to spin off that question with one. What is, when you call with a grunt, when you rattle, or you put a mock scrape out, what's the common theme between all those? Curiosity. Exactly. So you're piquing a deer's curiosity to either A, stop, or B, get off of his main path and change something in his routine. And I think with a mock scrape, you're you're taking him, he smells whatever you've put in that mock scrape and we're trying some new stuff out this year to see how it works. And we're, we've put up mock scrape drippers that, that last over a a period of time. And I've had success in killing deer over mock scrapes, but I wasn't hunting over that scrape. Yeah. I put one upwind and downwind of where I was and I knew the deer would travel the ridge but he would always travel the edge of the ridge where I really couldn't hunt. It didn't work for me. But on top of that saddle of that ridge, I had one north, upwind, and south, downwind. It wasn't north and south 
geographically, yeah, but yeah. it was upwind and downwind. And he was going from mock scrape one, and he got off of his routine to go and check that other one. Yeah. And I'm sitting right in the middle of him, and I got him killed. Well, so, And that's the biggest difference. And I, I can't lump a grunt and a rattle and a scrape into the same category because the scrape is the only one they come to from scent. Right. So that buck's temperament is what's going to bring him to a rattle or a grunt tube a certain time of year. Right. You're not going to grunt at one in February and expect him <laughs> no, to come in. Right. But he would to a mock scrape if he thinks there's an intruder in there and he's the big dog and he's going to come in there and look and see what's going on. Or if it's early season and you've piqued his interest, he don't know who this newcomer is, I, that's what I think. It's just a curiosity thing, just like you said. But it's the only one of those three that works with their nose. I think what intrigued me about preseason mock scrapes this year is after talking to some people, we talked to Matt Jennings of the game, and he said he's established some preseason mock scrapes in the past before, and then they have just taken off. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to freshen them up, and they become real scrapes. Yep. Jerry Mills said the same thing Jerry on the last one. And, and you can just hunt those throughout the season at that point. So we've set some up. We're we're interested to see what becomes of them. So so you've never done a mock scrape, but have you ever set one of your cameras over a scrape? I have, and I freshened it up and done some things and got some pictures. But yeah. most of the time when I set up, it seems like anyway, for me, when I set up a camera on a scrape, I get 90% nighttime activity, 10% daytime, especially in Georgia. Okay. Unless it's just rained. And the fog's lifting, and the rain's just pulling out of there, and they're going to go freshen it up. You ever seen a doe make a scrape? Um, or have you had one on the camera doing? I've had one on the camera checking it out. I don't know if yeah. she was per se making I, one, yeah. but I've had them interested in stop. Like, what's was it? You know, yeah. What is that? Checking it out. The, what's that gland? Their eye gland. I don't know. The reason I say that is, I believe that Dan Dewitt on the um, yeah. um, between the times. I believe he said that sometimes early season, like right now in August, that those some of those. Mature does will come in those areas and make scrapes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And yeah. The, and That's I think crazy. I think one thing that once we get off the the food concept that that whitetails are chasing, it, it drives back to their desire to to mate and breed. I mean, and does are no different than bucks. They're seeking out the most dominant mate they can. So I kind of always lean towards if I see a mature doe in an area. I'm wanting her to hang around, and and we all know that a, a five and a half year old doe is probably as wary and hard to kill as a you know five and a half year old buck, if not worse. And almost one of the most important in the whole system because she usually is going to she's usually going to mother two to three fawns, yeah, and she's usually going to drop twin bucks. Yeah, and, she's, and if you're lucky enough to have her on like your ground in Georgia, I'd protect that one. Yeah, and she's going to go into estrus earlier yep. than your other younger does. And so she's going to draw those bigger deer out earlier, and her core area is usually smaller. And so she's right. going to bring them in. That's a good question. Do you do you hunt does? Yes. Oh yeah, I love to hunt does, yeah. especially in the rut. Yeah, everything changes. I mean, food becomes secondary, water becomes secondary, living becomes secondary. There's one thing and one thing only on their mind. I mean, if you had to wait 11 months, it'd probably be the same way. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So fair I laws hunt, down. Fair, fair game. I hunt the does during that time of year. Pump your brakes. I love hunting doe groups and does during that time of year. I really do. Um, and it that's also a boots-on-the-ground scouting tip, too. You um, when, when you're 
not seeing anything. And everybody's talking about the lockdown. I hate hearing that. The lockdown, the lockdown, the lockdown. They're not Osama bin Laden. They didn't go yeah. climbing a cave. Yeah, that's right. They're in a thicket right behind you. You're just not willing to get down and go over there and look at him. And guess what? He's not going to jump up and run off because look what's laying next to him. That's right. Now, get now, aggressive. If you find a group of does like that, and you think there might be a buck in there, how far do you think that buck may carry that doe away from that other group? You'd be surprised. Not too far? No. Sometimes a long way. move her as far as he needs to. Okay. And then when it's time, when she's ready to stand, then that's where they're going to call home. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is my first, that, that year that I shot that big buck in Illinois, I wasn't able to recover. I walked that entire stretch of woods looking for that deer, and I jumped a buck that was bedded with a doe, and he jumped out and ran into the middle of the field about 50 yards from me, and he was probably a, 120 inch eight pointer he wasn't huge but that doe didn't get out of that brush pile and he would not leave he won't lock off over he will not he stood there and, and stayed there you can forever. just about drag a ladder stand and stand it up and ratchet it to the tree and watch him right like he's yeah. not going to leave her. He, he did not you can leave. get away with a lot when that happens but it's a time to be down and scout and that took a long time to learn it's okay to get down in november and start walking around you're not going to blow the woods up but how hard is that to hear? Oh, yeah, very hard yeah. doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, very yeah. it's tough. Hunt and the, I think that's, yeah, you, you, you brought up a key point there where we keep going back to the, the aggressive side of things. And I, I don't want people to think that you're not going to be successful sitting in one spot either. You know, you've got an opportunity if you're going to sit there and that's the MO that you have. Sure. You know, if you – have a an impairment that you can't move around you know it, you're not necessarily going to hurt yourself by staying in that one spot because you're covering a lot of ground and but if you can you better get your feet on the ground and get to moving well you talk about we're talking about georgia hunting a lot of people don't have the opportunity to get down and move a lot because they don't have a lot of ground to exactly. hunt. exactly right. landlocked. most people are hunting 25 acres right. 40 acres or something like that they might move this stand or that stand but they can't move you know a or, long stretch you know yeah or they're in a club where right. they have an area they need to stay in before they impose on someone else's Correct. area but how many times have you seen it where you were successful moving 50 yards a lot and that's the key that that for me and, and how many times have you killed your best deer on a virgin sit a lot that's the thing i mean your first time hunting a stand is normally going to be your most successful yeah within within I would say my most successful times on stand has have been within forty eight hours. Yeah, of whether it's I go in there and hunt the morning, and then I go I hunt the evening, then yep. I go back the next day. I've killed more deer that way. Well, just like the the year that I killed that deer in Illinois, I was hunting there. Remember that deer skirted me along long. I literally moved across the creek sixty yards, and the next day I killed that buck. Yeah, I mean, just I saw him there. Had all, you not moved, would you have killed? No, him? would have never had a shot at that there you deer. Go. So. You might have killed a bigger one. Yeah. <laughs> after I, I knew that was coming. Well, after I shot mine, I was on the phone with Alex, and a bigger one walked in, and there I am tagged That out. came That's by okay. me at 60 yards within 30 minutes of it coming by him. I mean, he had moved to clean across the other side of the property. And yeah. I think that, well, a lot of times the discouragement of missing an opportunity gets to a lot of us when you don't even understand that Within a blink of an eye, a snap of Things switch, can change. it can change. And that's the key thing that I've had to learn. You've got to keep your optimism up until the last 30 <laughs> seconds of the yeah. day. It, yeah. it, it will happen. I mean, and not always. I have sat there more times than not watching my phone, looking at legal shooting light ticking down second 
after second after second and thinking it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and it doesn't. But those few moments that I've been sitting there where there's five minutes to go and I hear, and I think, here we go. It's game on. And and they're there. I mean, and that's the thing. You, you, I think it's just like fishing. When you go and fish and you catch 50 bass in a day, I will forever chase those days when I go to the lake. I'm not going for the opportunity to catch fish. I'm chasing that 50 fish day to try to beat it. Just like when I go to the woods, I'm chasing that big buck and I'm trying to get back in there and chase that one five second moment Mm -hmm. where he shows up. And I, I won, like you said, Jason. So give us some filming advice. Oh, yeah, oh we well, need that. okay, all right. So going into that, I, I want my brakes. I want pump my brakes. I want to. I want to talk about you know it, the advice side of it. I want to talk about the equipment side of it too. So I want to kind of go through the 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 range of what Jason does when it comes to filming. But give us some advice on here's the filming. number. Here's, here's, here's the number one. That went around the elbow to the. <laughs> here's here's the number one thing when you start filming yourself, especially if you're filming for a buddy or yourself filming. The number one thing you need to go ahead and answer in your head right now is if you can't get it on camera, you need to be prepared to answer the question: Are you going to go ahead and take the shot? And I think 99 percent of us are going to go ahead and kill that deer. But a lot of people get to a point in their hunting career where if they can't film it, they won't shoot it. Right. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm not. If it's a deer of a lifetime, I'm going to shoot it. Um, a couple things. Get a get a simple camera. Cameras have come way down in price. A lot of our guys are running DSLRs. They're great. I know, Cody, that's yep. what you're going to be running this year. Uh, personally, I run a, can- a Canon G50. You can get one on eBay for 1800 bucks. It's 4K, 20-power optical zoom. Uh, you put a little road shotgun mic on it and a camo kit and all in your 2100 bucks and it's filming the same quality as a matter of fact you can't even stream 4k like to a cable tv i think it's still mm-hmm. 1080p yeah, so you right might as well save right. your save your sd space and your battery space but that's what i'm running um a couple tips if you're a right-handed guy obviously in a stand and a lock-on and you're shooting right-handed you want the camera arm off of your right side about hip high so if you've never done it before and you got your first camera arm this year and you're trying to figure out where to put that thing, because if you don't practice, well, that's the first mistake. First of all, if you've never filmed before, go put your stand on your tree in your yard a couple feet off the ground, sit in it, and practice ratcheting your camera arm. You're going to have to get it out of the way so you're not sitting up against it. You want it pretty close to your waist so that you can still run your right hand and pan for it, but your bow is still in your left hand. So that, you know, and don't zoom all the way in oh my gosh how many people you got a corn pile and they zoom so close and the deer walks through that thing and two seconds flat and they can't get a shot on it so always stay zoomed out more than you think you need to be and when you know a deer's going in a certain way get ahead of him and just stop the camera lock on and be ready and when you see him go to that frame and that little lcd it's time to draw back and get a shot and you'll start to gauge how fast the deer's walking how much time you've got to get things done but it's a game and you're going to have to practice it and it's never nobody's ever perfect at it um but it's so gratifying to be able to go back because now i've been doing it long enough since 2011 that's a decade so i can go back and look at my skinny self in 2011 (laughs) when i'm up in tree filming stuff and letting deer walk for the first time in iowa and illinois and it's awesome because i forget about those moments 10 years worth of hunting memories everything starts flooding together and you get to go back and see all that it's one of the most gratifying things you can do and how many times 
as each one of us sitting around the table seen something out there that we said, man, I wish I'd had a camera. Nobody would believe that just happened. That hawk just took a squirrel out of a tree 10 feet over my head. Nobody would believe that, you know. It is one of the most gratifying things you can do. Um, Equipment-wise, don't get bogged down. Oh, my gosh, there's so much camera equipment that's super, super heavy. Personally, I think um, that Lone Wolf Custom Gear hit a home run this year with the pocket arm. And I know a couple of you guys are going to be running that <laughs> this year. Yeah, uh, I yeah. used it last year, and it maybe another one if we can talk you into it. The, the reason we called it the pocket, or they called it the pocket arm, is because you can put it in your pocket. You can. I mean, you can literally put it in your pocket and film. Whether you want to put your iPhone on it, a DSLR, or one of the biggest Sony handy cams like Michael Waddell uses, you yeah. can. Anything will be supported by that. But it's quick and easy to get on. It's got a small hook to hang your grunt tube or whatever else you want to put on it. A bubble level so you can make sure you get it straight. And it's simple to use and it's lightweight. And I would just tell anybody that's getting into the filming game, make sure you have those two things. Something sturdy and solid, lightweight, and don't move too fast. You don't realize everything you do on that camera is um, over amplified when you put it on the TV. So you got to move everything slow. I had a very interesting conversation last night with Greg Glessinger about this topic mm-hmm. and the commercialization of filming. And I think a lot of people and in, in, in our previous guests have kind of alluded to that, especially with Dave Owens um, from the Penhody Project. You don't have to have the most high quality video out there. Nope. As long as you tell the story with your video. Yes. And Greg and I talked about that last night, that the YouTube game has destroyed hunting channels. It is absolutely destroyed. You're seeing Midwest Whitetail. You're seeing Buck Commander. You're seeing um, Bone Collector. You're seeing Realtree 365. I mean, they don't even drop a DVD anymore, and it's a free app. But they have changed the demographic of what we grew up watching as these high-end quality production pieces to be just do it. But you made a, an interesting point there. You don't have to – you need to make the decision. Are you a, are you a filming guy or are you a hunter? Mm-hmm. Make sure you're okay with what you're going to do because – I don't know in that situation that I'll ever be to the point where if I've got a deer of a lifetime that I'm going to say, I can't get him on camera, I'm not going to be able to shoot that deer. Mm -hmm. 15 minutes before legal shooting lot is over with a camera, it's done. Mm -hmm. you still got 15 minutes. Well, if you ever watch, like Dave, if you ever watch his videos shooting uh, turkey hunting, they don't always get those turkeys on camera. No. You don't know what that turkey's going to do. No. That turkey's not – a model. It's not modeling for the camera. Well, yeah, they're out there to do, do one thing. Be mentally prepared before you dive into the filming game because there are so many things you won't think about. You'll tilt the LCD screen and the sun will hit it and it'll blur it out and you can't find the deer in it. Or you'll be f- filming two bucks fighting out in a cornfield only to turn around and realize you just had a shooter standing behind you that was watching those two, but you're so focused on filming them, you didn't even listen or pay attention to what was walking up behind <laughs> right. you. You really got to really yeah. think it's a whole other element and none of it is helping you kill a deer. It's actually hurting. Right. It's a lot harder than, but you build confidence. You do it a couple of times. Um, it, it's one of those things, like I said, it's one of the most gratifying things you can do, but it is extremely frustrating. How, how much filming are you, how much filming are you doing while you're sitting there? Um, I try to, 
just like Alex said before, you got to tell a story. So if all you do is turn the camera on when the deer walks in and you shoot it and turn it off, you don't have a story. You have a shot. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to build a story each time I go in. And, and these cameras are pretty good about putting a lot of storage on these SD cards. Most mm-hmm. of them have dual slots now. So for a very, like Alex said, very inexpensive camera setup, you can record a whole lot more than you think you can. And these batteries are lasting a lot longer. Right. Um, that's a great question, Nick. When it turns daylight, I usually get myself drawn back because you can't go recreate that in the same tree. Uh, that's B-roll, what we call B-roll. Right. I'm washing my clothes, shooting my bow, getting my my cameras hung, stands hung. I started uh, last year carrying my camera a lot more than I have in the past two years, and, and I've started to enjoy it again. But when it becomes like a job, you need to stop and take a break, and I had to do that. I had to hit the pause button and just put the camera in the closet for a while. Are you running a GoPro? I am. I run a GoPro. It's the older Hero 7, and I angle it towards me because it's got the fisheye lens, so it's perfect for up-close stuff and perfect for when you're walking to the stand, and it's lightweight and it's easy. Um, so I run the Hero 7, and I run the Canon G50, and that's the only two I carry with me. That's all I got. Gotcha. Yep. I think that that just like this podcast, we decided to do this – and we started recording, and we got through the, the troublesome times where we didn't really know what we were doing, and we worked our way through editing or, you know, the way that we were recording with mic gains, and it goes right into the filming aspect of it. If it's something you really want to do and you're passionate about, you'll stick with it to figure out the nuances that fix the problems. That's right. And the difference between me sitting here and telling a story is I can write notes down. Can't write notes down to put it on camera because it happens immediately. That's true. You know, and and that changes. I know we record a lot in live situations. We don't do a lot of editing, but we try to tell a story when we're telling a podcast or doing a show with that camera. You're allowed one moment. You can't go back and re-record a segment. If I do a bad on an intro, I, I can press stop and redo it. Yeah. You can't redo it on a camera. No. And you have to be mentally prepared to accept the fact that I'm probably not going to get everything I want on that camera, but I'm okay with that. You know what I've learned, Alex? That's what people want to see. Yeah. That's real. That's raw footage. That's real hunters doing real things. And I I have to tell you, that's what I like about the Whitetail Addictions, guys. I don't know if y'all follow some of our episodes, but last night old Justin was in Kentucky on public land self-filming, and he takes you through the whole a through Z. And it's awesome to see the struggles because it's the same ones you and I have. Yep. And um, my biggest thing is I got to be careful with my mouth. You know, it gets like I'm in Atlanta traffic if I miss <laughs> yeah. a yeah. branch. And, and same you know, way like, with the podcast. Oh, that's great. I got to go home and show the kids dad's, dad's potty mouth, you know, but you got to be careful. And everything you do is recorded, like you said. Yeah. So. And I mean, it's, it's, it's the... I think it's a, a a better understanding of what we want to, to tell people. And you can paint a you can paint a perfect picture and never get a kill shot on camera. Yep. That's the one thing that, that I've learned. Well, Don Higgins, when he killed one of his biggest bucks ever, he didn't even get the deer shooting it on camera. Nope. But he got the story leading yeah. up to it. Yep. And he got the story of the recovery. And he got yeah. the joy in his eyes when he walked up to that deer for the first time. It's mounting a memory in a different way. It is. I have all of that in my Kansas deer and not the shot. My elbow bumped the camera. It was on a on a shooting rail, and when my weight shifted, it pointed the camera down, and it swung over to the bushes. You can hear the shot. You can hear me. Everything. The audio is right there in my face, but the deer's not on camera. And it's funny because so many people don't want to see that because I didn't get the kill shot. You didn't watch the deer drop in the milo. Or does, does so many people want 
to see that. Well, yeah, good point. I mean, that's the thing that, yeah. you know, I think it's made a – when we were kids growing up, the idea of watching someone shoot a deer that we would have never have dreamed of shooting was what we wanted to see. But now that those opportunities have been presented to us and so many other people that are going to listen to this show or any other podcast or watch a hunting show out there, it's painting a picture that I'm just like you are. I get up and I put my boots on oh, and yeah. I go to work every yep. day and I can do this. So can you. Yep. I think that's the cool thing for me. And that's the, the filming side of it has been more so telling the story. I, I'll tell you, if you hadn't done it already and you're due for one within the next 60 days, Go try one of these iPhone 12 Pros with yeah. these three cameras on it. I took some video with that thing. It is unbelievable. Yeah. That's better than the family cameras we grew up with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. unreal. I mean, and it's right here. So if you're not sure and you're on the fence about getting jumping in and spending all this money for filming, go get one of the little $12 things off Amazon and get you a pocket arm and run your run your iPhone. And if you don't feel like putting it on there, don't put it on there. But that gives you, you're going to have your phone with you. Mount it to your bow. Mount it to your bow. I mean, there's so many things you can do with that and build confidence in the filming thing without having to go spend all the money to do it. Well, you talk about like growing up when we was watching these videos like Monster Bucks or Tom Miranda or Volkrod or all those guys. We would sit and watch hours of cassette tape, you know, videos yep. and be glued to the TV. But now the demographics change so much where everybody monster bucks 365 their videos are what six minutes long now yeah, yeah. six eight minutes long because yeah. nobody wants to a lot of uh, i say nobody a lot of people don't care they just want to see that kill shot and the buck and they all to the next one yeah you know we talked lot. to we talked to the jared mills about that and if you watch the monster bucks all of the midwest whitetail stories are two to three minutes longer on all the monster bucks episodes than anybody else they're they're the longest ones on there, mm-hmm. and I think they do a an amazing job of painting a picture of the entire story, and it goes back to the old school roots, and I think that's what ties back to my you know want mm-hmm. is seeing that backstory. I mean, you watch Bill Winkie's episodes two hours long, and he's telling an entire story about his season and chasing one deer. Oh yeah, I'll sit there glued to it and Absolutely. watch it. Absolutely, because people can relate to it, and I think that's but now. The people that are younger than us, they don't really want that. They want, oh, I want to see them shoot a deer, and that's all I want to see. I think that'll change when they decide they want to learn how and what went into getting it done. The educational piece the of educational it. The educational piece of it. If you really want to learn on how to kill a mature deer and what it takes to grind day in and day out to get one done and you're going to get beat, then you'll take the time to listen. But if just, not, just, just like we said earlier in this episode, just like my target panic, you said you had camera phobia. I call it a camera-itis, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you people – can relate to that it doesn't matter what platform you're on if somebody's having a struggle with something they actually admit it somebody can relate to you because somebody out there is just scared to admit that they got a problem yeah everybody's got a problem everybody's fighting something absolutely every day it don't matter if it i don't care what it is work hunting yeah whatever caden's scared of the dark (laughs) i mean everybody's got a problem with something they just they just need to know how to get over it and and i think this is this podcast a lot of it not just about target panic but everything else is to help folks get outside of it and you jason bringing all the knowledge that you have for traveling all across the world has has been very helpful for a lot of folks i appreciate this platform because we can be honest with each other and it's not all about promoting a a brand of this or a brand of that i I mean not it's uh 
it's learning from those mistakes. Yeah. And I grew as a hunter from learning from other people's mistakes, but always yep. from my own. I mean, it's going to burn a hole in you when, when something goes wrong. You're going to have more bad days than you will good in the hunting community. If you don't, you're not doing it right. No. I mean, you're not spending enough time out there because I can, I can count on, uh, I can't count on a laundry list of items that I have done wrong and cost me deer of a lifetime, but I can count on two hands the number of times I was successful in learning from those opportunities that I, I failed. Yeah. Well, what if one person goes out this this uh, fall and kills a deer because they got down out of their stand and went over 100 yards and hung a and set, and they're like, man, thanks, Jason. It worked. You know, yeah. you know, how would that make you feel that, that, that as a be, person? That would be the ultimate compliment yeah is that i was able to help somebody else kill a deer i don't even care if it's a deer for what, if they're happy with it that's what we're here works. for yeah that's what you're here for yeah. oh, that's 100 percent right i'm calling jason november <laughs> uh 9th probably seven 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 Ooh, dang, urgency he's gonna yeah. get it done early like i hope he does i need a cameraman you brought that up and you got your phone out what's the moon phases looking like for the year um i hadn't well have I, you been diving i, I know you yeah i've looked a couple yeah. times Come i'm on. not gonna lie i've looked a couple times <laughs> he's got the app it's weird this year as far as the uh the moon phases. let's just pull it up real quick y'all i yeah. want to yeah this is this is opening this is opening day <laughs> <laughs> this is opening day of a uh, deer season here on the podcast <laughs> let me pull it up while i'm pulling it up take my here we go take take me on your first trip up nick because i like to ask everybody this um where is your go-to is it based on your camera survey is it based based on old faithful is it based on your spot on your lease in walk, illinois walk me through that when you get to illinois what are you what's nick wilson thinking making a decision on where um, he's gonna go hunt that first sit yeah i have a favorite place now but like i said this is my first year running trail cameras but i have a very I have a set that I go to that I killed my biggest deer, and I can I just go back there each time and I hunt that spot. I yep. mean, it's is it a general area or is it a stand like a? It's, there's a stand there. Okay, so yeah, it's there a is permanent a, stand. Yeah, there's there, there's a lock on there. Okay, and um, I keep it there. It's on a farmer's, and, and it's not even a crop farm. It's a cattle farm. Yep, but it's a pinch point in between two lakes, from big timber down just to a big opening. And uh, they kind of got a broom sage field, and for whatever reason, you could. I've been there late season; you don't see no deer. But during the rut, I guess those bucks are coming out of that big timber, and they're coming down in that valley, looking for does. And never, checking. yeah, you never know what you're gonna see. You never see sign there. There's never scrapes there. But you know the deer there. Yeah, the deer have to travel through there. And the, really, the first place, the first time I found that place, was hunting close to it, mm-hmm. kind of going what you said. I was probably 200 yards from there, and I was sitting in a tree, and I started seeing these deer run the top of this hill. So I kept moving. The first time I ever moved over, and I told Alex this the other day after talking to Jared, the first time I ever went over there, there was no tree. I didn't know a tree to get in. So I sat down. I took cedar trees, cut them off like I built a turkey blind, Yeah. and I sat on the ground, and I seen one of the biggest eight-pointers up that I've ever seen come across the road that afternoon. I told my dad, I said, we've got a hunt in here. The next morning, my dad went in there and killed the biggest eight-pointer he's ever killed in his life. It. I love it. It was 150 inches. And, Big eight-pointer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been hunting there ever since. I killed that nine-pointer in there, killed a couple other deer, seen some big deer in there. It's just a travel corridor for them. I mean, you, you can't beat it. I don't know if I'll – I don't even run a camera in there. 
because, like I said, there's no sign. I don't think the deer run that place, but that's that's my go-to spot. I mean, I, yeah. I like I said, I I haven't killed another big deer out of it going back to the killing tree like you're talking about, but that's my spot that I go to. I love it. So Well, all right, I'm going to answer your question. So for the moon face, so this is some good dates, y'all. Listen up for this one, okay? October 23rd through the 28th, be in the woods. November 7th through the 10th. Be in the woods. Game on, night, baby. We in the night. Home and, run. <laughs> and the entire week of Thanksgiving, the 22nd through the 26th, be in the woods. Y'all heard it There's from the dates. man. There's your dates. Better pump your brakes. Get them no out. Hey, if you would, <laughs> now, if you're listening. Now, is that a full us, moon? Send, that's the red moon. Red moon. Yeah, so send us, send us some pictures. Send it in to talk about it outdoors. If you kill a deer during one of those dates and you listen to this episode, let us know about it. Tag out Jason it. Lewis. Thanks for the tip. I just, yeah. just want to see people behind a big deer. And nothing makes me happier. I hope it's colder this year in November than it was last you year. You know, it was warm last year. I'm in a T-shirt when I killed my deer. You I mean, was. was. Now, you were there. one degrees. You were a week earlier. I was. I liked that first week. I really do. I like that searching and seeking phase. Hopefully, the horseshoe bounced out. Yeah, now it's yeah. going to be the following. <laughs> but that was also that was also part of the red moon last year too. That's okay, why I took off. Okay, so I man, I played cat and mouse with that. Ain't no way that horseshoe's bounced out of my hind end as tight as I hold it. I hope so. Oh, I am holding on tight, and I am looking for. I am looking for a. Uh, I don't want to kill them all, and I don't want to kill. Uh, Every deer I see, but I want to kill the biggest and the most. That's all I'm saying, boys. I just I hate it. I, I'm ready to get after it. So, are you still going to hunt other dates other than that red moon? I will. I like it. You know, the red moon is good to look at now, but it's it's a weather patterns, cold front, pressure system changes. I, I'm on try. I mean, I've got my dates pretty much set. We got a lot going on this year with work. So, um, you going to use that red moon for Georgia? Oh yeah, I use it for every state. Okay. Yeah, from from Hawaii to South Carolina. I, I'm telling you. Just let's get some people to send some pictures in on those dates and watch. If you have an opportunity to hunt those dates, get in the woods. And if it coincides with a cold front, just go ahead and lock onto that D-loop because it's going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Rewind this and write those dates down. Oh, my goodness. Well, Jason, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to come and be with us again. We can sit here the rest of the night and talk about all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm I'm fired up. Y'all got me fired up. (laughs) And then I hope everybody that listens to this episode, it's going to drop, you know, within a couple of weeks of uh, of deer season. I mean, we're probably going to be within, I would say we're probably within two weeks of, of deer season when this episode launches. And if you haven't already, you better get to making preparations. But I think the the fun of it is going to be seeing what people learn from everything we've talked about and taking from that the opportunities to get better at what they're doing. And it's going to be, I'm I, like I've told Nick and Cody, I'm mad at them again. I am mad at the deer again, and, and it's gonna be it's gonna be bad on them. It's gonna be bad on some backs of my dragon partners. I'm afraid yeah, I'm, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt them this year. I love it. I love it. So, uh, Nick, closing thoughts. I'm I'm so pumped up about deer season this year. I'm I'm almost as excited as I was for the upcoming turkey season this past. Spring. Man, no way. I won't buy that. No, don't. don't <laughs> I am pumped up, man. I'm I'm excited. Like I said, this episode's gonna be passed. I'll be up there like you guys were last week and putting out some cameras and doing some – I can't wait till about 6 o'clock in the afternoon to start riding around on those fields, Yeah, start glassing. Yeah. That's that's the fun time. Take him knocks. I done, oh, I done told him, hey, we're eating dinner either early or it's going to be really late. 
because it ain't gonna get dark till probably nine o'clock. Yeah, it's about yeah, it's, nine. Yeah, o'clock. It's getting dark late yeah. up there. Yeah. Yep. I said, yeah. you know, we gotta eat dinner. We gotta be eating dinner at five o'clock. We gotta be back over. You can put your PJs on, turn the AC on, ride around <laughs> that last hour, and then go get go get, put your head down. I mean, it's late. Yeah, it's late right. this time of year. That's right. So, Cody, I feel like I lied to you because during turkey season, I said, you know what? I think I like chasing these gobblers about as much as I do. <laughs> I. I lied. I know you was. I know you called me out. I'm getting ready. <laughs> Jason, what else you got? I Close just want to say thank you guys. Hey, y'all be safe out there. Have a great deer season. This I, I'm so pumped for everybody, but uh, talk about it outdoors. I appreciate you guys. Love you. And um, let's see some pictures, people. I got one last thing. We was talking about bows, getting your bows out, setting them up. Check your safety harnesses. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Check your safety. Check harnesses. your expiration date on those safety yep. harnesses. If it's getting out of date, I mean, it's it needs to be something that you really inspect. And yep. if this is your first time mobile hunting, check your sticks, check your straps. Don't use ones from two or three years ago. If you mm-hmm. bought some used because you're trying to save some money, that's great. Check your straps. Everybody, be careful. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you another thing. I seen this on a hunting uh, page the other day. If you've had a lock on up there in the tree for a while and it's been sitting there and it's got the uh, cables on it replace them yeah don't even step in it replace them if it's been there for a long time and i'll tell you uh brandon pool um kind of a tip from him but you can go you can go to walmart harbor uh not harbor freight um maybe home depot you can get like this i bought this black chain for ours and replace the cables much better it's plastic coated ain't it uh no it's just it's just uh painted powder coated yeah yeah whatever i mean it's thousand pound rating um I mean, you can get up there and buck dance if you want to, but it's 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 a lot strong. I take the I take the cables off of it, and uh, I feel oh, much. That was so funny. <laughs> I can just see oh, Nick up there buck dancing in the millennium. Hey, you kill a big deer, you'd be doing something up there. So, no, I can't yeah, wait absolutely. to see that TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got that GoPro strapped. He's gonna cut it. But jig. I'm serious though. I mean, you can get those chains and replace them. Yeah, absolutely. and it, it is much better than those cables. Those cables look good from the outside, but you don't realize how much water runs in there and rust them out. So. Yep, make sure you're checking your gear and making sure you're being safe because at the end of the day, it's just a deer and uh, we want you to get back home to your family. So, hey, boys. That's it. It's on. 2021 It's going to be an amazing year and we can't wait to see what everyone out there takes from this and uh, makes it their own. And uh, if you ain't already... Go over to all our social media platforms, pass it along to your friends, and if you hear something that you like, hey, you might think of a question on the Shooting You Straight moments. Send Mm -hmm. it to us and, and... if it's a question for Jason, I talk to him about uh, every other day anyway, so I can ask him, hey, what would you do in this situation? I promise you I'm going to be pinging his brain for knowledge. So for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for being with us again. And don't forget, smile as you go, and remember, mouth of memories. <laughs>